there, Buffalo Bills fans. Welcome back to Believe, a Buffalo Bills fan podcast here on buffalorumblings.com and everywhere else you go to find your fine Buffalo Bills podcast. We are so pleased you have taken the time to check us out here on Believe. My name is John Boccasino, being joined, of course, by the venerable Jamie D'Amico as we are continuing our off-season State of the Buffalo Bills series. For those who have missed the first couple Have no fear. You can use this thing called the internet to go back and listen to past episodes, including Jamie. They have the internet on phones these days. It's remarkable how many ways you can check out our podcast. You know, I don't want to be presumptuous here, but this internet thing, I think it's going to stick around. I think it's here to stay. (laughs) I like like the staying power. I think this whole series of interconnected tubes and tunnels – has a uh, has a future. Al Gore, give the man a lot of credit for inventing the internet, man. I was just going to say, I'm so glad Al Gore invented it. <laughs> it's changed everything, really. Between it's... the internet and Man Bear Pig, I think those are his two biggest inventions oh. to society. <laughs> man Bear Pig, he's cereal. <laughs> I'm super cereal. <laughs> Such a great. If, 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 if people do not understand the the magnitude of Man Bear Pig. Uh, it is worth a YouTube uh, search, and you will not be disappointed. No, that 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 is sure to deliver. Much like our State of the Bills podcast series, booyah! So if you've missed any of them, of course, you can go back uh, on on Spotify and and iTunes and Google Play. Uh, check out our first couple. We did a really comprehensive breakdown on the state of the quarterbacks, uh, and especially focusing on what to do behind. Uh, Josh Allen at the backup quarterback position. Last week, we took a stab at the running back room, giving our thoughts to the pros and cons, the strengths and weaknesses of Buffalo's running backs. And today, Jamie, we are turning our attention predictably to the wide receiving room, which it's really hard to put into terms of how much progress has been made in the wide receivers uh, since McDe- since McBean took over, since Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean took over as the general manager and head coach of the Buffalo Bills. When uh, Josh Allen, um, or sorry, before Josh Allen came here, when it was Tyrod, Tyrod Taylor and Nathan Peterman, and even really the first year of, of Josh Allen as quarterback, the wide receivers that Buffalo uh, was throwing to, their quarterbacks, essentially consisted of Deontay Thompson, Zay Jones, and Jordan Matthews as the top three. And none of them had more than 27 catches in that particular 2017 season. LaShawn McCoy and Charles Clay, of course, were the leading receivers, but they do not qualify at the wide receiver position. They were running backs and tight ends. So to go from that triumvirate of Deontay Thompson, Zay Jones, and Jordan Matthews to what the Buffalo Bills have right now at the wide receivers, you know, Jamie, the Bills really are in a great position, uh, both short and long term, I feel like, with the state of their wide receivers. Well, I read on Buffalo Rumblings that from Josh Allen's rookie season, there is only one quarterback. I'm sorry. There's only one receiver still in the NFL that played on that team with Josh Allen. That is Zay Jones, and he had only 14 receptions for the Las Vegas Raiders this past season. 
Oh my God. Yes, Josh Allen was not great in his rookie season, but nobody's going to be good throwing to that group of receivers. Oh, what an abomination the receiver room was. Now, before we get started, I've got some Buffalo Bills trivia for you. A friend of mine sent me a box of cards called Who's the Man? Football Edition. It is trivia about the Buffalo Bills, and it gives you five hints on the player or person that they're talking about. And if you get it right in the first with the first hint, you get five points and it descends down to one point um, through the five. So this is meh, relatively timely. So who are we talking about when I say this person was a third round draft pick that spent time with the Bills, Panthers, and Packers? That's your first hint. Uh, that would. Ooh, my first thought was James Lofton, but he didn't play for the Panthers. Correct. Um, and he was also a first round pick. That's true. Forgot about how high. And he had the Raiders on the on their resume there. All right. Not getting on the first hint. So the second one is caught four touchdown passes in a 1991 game against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Would that be the Don Beebe legend? For four points. Don Beebe is the correct answer. Ding, 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 ding. Job. By the way, I've gone through some of these cards. I haven't gotten a single one of them off of the first hint. Not, not once. Well, you know, it's it's funny, Jamie, that you bring that up. Um, it's 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 called "Who's the Man," right? Yes. My wife actually got me the same uh, same trivia set for uh, for the Buffalo Bills. Uh, got it as part of a uh, lovely Valentine's Day gift. Have not had a chance to put it to good use yet, but I'm looking forward to diving into all those cool trivia related questions and factoids about the Buffalo Bills. And now I I'm, I am going to throw this one hint to you. This was the two pointer, and this is something I did not know about Don Beebe that he didn't play a single down of college football before transferring to Chadron State for his final year of eligibility. Can you believe a guy who played ten years in the NFL never played a down before his senior season? That's incredible. That is one of those stats where you think about it. Yeah, and Don Beebe. I mean, my God, I. I will forever love Don Beebe for his hustle play and tracking down, you know, Leon Lett in the Super Bowl and forcing that that you know the the touchback um, and the epitome of hustle that he showed out there. The fact that a guy could play for ten years and not have a single college snap or a reception uh, up until his senior year—that's that's incredible. I mean, that's a that's a really cool stat there, Jamie. But you know, it it happens. Like uh, Brad Johnson never he didn't start in college. Uh, Tom Brady was not a star, a full-time starter in college. It's interesting how there are certain guys who are built for the pro game and not the college game, and they they see the success. Um, there, I even uh, uh, what's his name Williams, the running back uh, for the Bills. Oh, Antonio Williams. Antonio Williams. Yeah, uh, he wasn't a starter. He barely got on the field. He was mostly a special teamer. And now Bills fans love the guy after his twelve carries against the Miami Dolphins. We have such an affinity in Bill's Mafia for falling in love with the practice squad superstar. The guy, I mean, in case in point, one of the guys we're going to talk about on the podcast today is Jake Kumaro. Who, oh, my God. <laughs> I mean, I tell you, you would have thought that um, the Buffalo Bills had cut Josh Allen with the way that the uh, the Twitter 
was exploding in cries of regret uh, when the Bills had Kumara when he was claimed off of Buffalo's practice squad, you know, late after catching that touchdown pass against the Denver Broncos, you would have thought that Buffalo, the sky was falling and that they were losing the second coming of Andre Reed uh, instead of guy with uh, with incredible flow who may or may not be a, a lasting receiver on this group out here. Uh, yeah, I, I I know we're we're putting the cart before the horse here, but I could not understand why a guy who had one reception for twenty two yards became such a folk hero. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Jamie, there's people that are lobbying for him to be the fifth wide receiver next year. He's a special teamer. I mean, he's a special teams guy. <laughs> he's, <Yeah. laughs> he's bounced through, he's been a journeyman uh, for his career because he's not a guy who can really go out and catch the football, though he looked good doing it that one time. If you can't latch on with Aaron Rodgers and they were depleted at the wide receiver position when Kumaro was on the roster. I mean, they would have Devontae Adams and then a whole bunch of injuries and, you know, uh, Vasquez scandling uh, would battle with the drops out there. Marquez would. So they there were opportunities that he couldn't stick. What I don't I don't get what makes Buffalo be the place where he is really going to be establishing his career. If it happens I'm not sure what to make of it because I would feel like that would mean some either he had a phenomenal camp or more of the entrenched veterans either were let go, see John Brown, um, or did not live up to expectations, see Isaiah Hodgins. Right. And, you know, I I don't know that it's exclusive to the Buffalo Bills fanship that gets really attached to the 53rd guy on the roster. Or the practice squad guys. Because I remember back in the Ryan Fitzpatrick days, being told by a fan that the problem with the Bills offense was that they didn't have Naaman Roosevelt on the field. <laughs> like, are I'm you sorry. kidding me? Now, I'm sorry, that's laughable. <laughs> well, I know. But now the only time that's ever actually worked out where people were campaigning for a guy who was at the back of the roster who actually became good, Stevie Johnson. Yep, the seventh rounder out of Kentucky. Stevie Johnson didn't see the field his rookie season. Even his second season didn't see it too much. He became a great Buffalo Bill, but that almost never happens. You know, usually the guys who are going to perform, they do. You see it right away. They typically don't toil on the practice squad. And especially when it comes to the the competition at the wide receiver spot. I mean, these guys coming out of the college game are so ready to step in and contribute at wide receiver. There used to be such a, a lag where you, know, you would have a receiver and he would have to develop and he would have to learn behind the grizzled veterans. Now the fact that college programs are chucking the rocker on the yard so yeah. many times per game. I mean, these guys come in and that's why you have a Gabriel Davis bursting onto the scene for Buffalo last year. That's why every year there's a handful of receivers who go, you know, I look at, um, you know, like John Ross, for example, with the mm-hmm. Bengals or Corey Davis with the Titans. <clears throat> it's a waste to me to take a wide receiver that high, knowing how many guys you can get in the second, third, fourth, fifth, even sixth rounds who can be real game changers at the wide receiver position. I feel like look, as much as Devonte Smith is a freak of nature at Alabama, 
I'm not sure I would want to use number two or number three pick. In fact, I wouldn't want to use that high of a pick on a wide receiver just because, again, the number of receivers who can contribute right away are, are plentiful. Well, there's also a very high bust rate for wide receivers that are taken in the, in the top 10, which is why you really don't see it very often. Um, there was a time when you would see wide receivers going number one overall. That is n- probably never going to happen again unless you have the second coming of Calvin Johnson, who himself didn't even go number one overall. Yeah, so, people forget about that. You know, you you have to go way back to like Irving Fryer. Um, I, I know that uh, Rocket Ishmael was expected to go number one overall, but he ended up deciding he was going to go play in the CFL instead. Um, it, that was that was a year when the draft class was very weak. Um, but it's th- there's certain positions that you see go at the top of the draft, and they, and they tend to be quarterbacks almost every year, defensive linemen. Uh, sometimes you'll see an offensive, you'll see a tackle go uh, number one overall. But like you said, there's value lower. And also the risk rate is higher. The bigger guys, they tend to be a little bit easier to project into the pros than than somebody who is farther away from the ball on offense. Because you know, like they used to say, it takes three years to see what a receiver is going to be. We saw that here in Buffalo with Eric Moulds, who was not much of a receiver until his fourth season, and then he just took the NFL by storm. Well, speaking of Eric Moulds, and that's a great reference and segue to our current state of the Buffalo Bills, the receiver on Buffalo who broke uh, Eric Moulds' franchise records for receiving yards and receptions in a season happens to be the impeccably... uh, talented Stefan Diggs, who led the NFL, becoming the first Bills receiver to ever lead the league in receptions and yards. He had 127 grabs for 1,535 yards last year. It was unbelievable, Jamie, how much Josh Allen took off as a passer, having Stefan Diggs after that trade with the Vikings last offseason. His passer rating when targeting Diggs was 117.5, and Diggs's catch percentage was 78.4, fourth best among all wide receivers. Buffalo has never had a threat as dominant as Stefan Diggs and the receiving game. And it's, it's nice that Diggs is under contract. I know there's talks about... Um, potentially having to give him a contract extension. I think he only has, you know, three more years left on his deal. And, you know, he's probably going to want more money, especially if he performs the way he did in 2020. But any conversation about the Buffalo Bills receivers starts with the fact that they have arguably a top three wide receiver in all of football. And that is a great place to start when it comes to breaking down the wide receivers. The questions were out there. Did the Buffalo Bills give up too much in order to bring Stefan Diggs in? And it's a legitimate question because four draft picks for a guy who is already making a decent amount of money. I mean, they gave up a a first, fifth, sixth, and uh, a fourth round pick this season for the guy. And also they uh, received a seventh round draft pick in return. That's a lot to give up for any player. But when he goes out there, changes the complexion of the offense, 
helps Josh Allen become an MVP candidate, finish number two in the voting, and leads the league in receptions and yardage, I think you can go to bed and rest easy knowing that you got a great trade. And it seems like it worked out well for both teams because Minnesota drafted Justin Jefferson, who was outstanding in his rookie season. Plus, they've got the value of the extra selections. I I think both teams make that trade every day of the week going forward. And I am so happy that Stefan Diggs is in a Bills uniform. Now, I have a question for you. Sure. Because a lot has been made about how Diggs and Allen are best friends. You think that's true, or do you think that's just like a creation of the media because it makes for kind of a funny story? You know, so I'm glad you bring this up because it would always, you know, when they when the Bills beat the Ravens to advance to the AFC title game, when the Bills, uh, you know, beat the the Niners, and anytime there was a prime time game that Buffalo got a win, they would show Allen and Diggs post game talking to one of the reporters, and they just seemed to have so much. fun fun during these interviews they talk about playing video games together they talk about just like the 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 lessons and the camaraderie i legit believe it jamie i feel like all the people it it was amazing how wrong the public perception was about stefan diggs you know not only in how much you know so yeah we, we can please put to bed all of the talk about buffalo overpaying for digs because whether they did or whether they didn't the player they got has proven to be worth every asset that they gave up and yes justin jefferson had a phenomenal rookie season but it's not fair to after the fact using the power of hindsight and the transitive properties saying oh well you know buffalo could have taken justin jefferson and had just as great of a season no i don't believe that for one second that if you take the Bills offense might have been <clears throat> very good, but there's no way that Josh Allen makes the quantum leap that he did at quarterback if he has a rookie in Justin Jefferson compared to a driven veteran like Stefan Diggs. Now, I know that wasn't the question you asked, but I, I wanted to kind of go back a little bit and say both A, I do believe that they are incredibly close, uh, their friendship and their relationship, and it manifests itself with the on-field play. And I had to address that part about both uh, Jefferson and subbing in because I don't feel like it's a fair equation. It's not. Um, I, I would say that in two years, you'll have a pretty good answer on that. Also, he has Kirk Cousins throwing him the football, which is going to definitely stifle uh, his development a little bit, as it did for Stefan Diggs. Um, however, there are some things to like about Diggs. Namely, he brought a competitive spirit to the team that it seemed like they didn't have before. He is a trash talker, like few we've ever seen in a Buffalo Bills uniform. This guy, after every play, is jawing with people. And apparently, he did it in training camp and in practice all season two. And it lit a fire under everybody there, made them try a little bit harder. And they kind of credited him for really livening things up a bit. And I, I think that that's the type of player you need as long as they, as long as they get along after the fact, because the smack talk can only go so far with your teammates. Now, the other thing to really like about Stefan Diggs is not just his ability to get open, not his unbelievable hands, not just his uh, ability to run after the catch and, and man, when he's running after the catch, sometimes it looks like he's not even trying, but his dedication 
to oral hygiene and flossing his teeth on the <laughs> sidelines. Now, you kids who are listening out there, make sure you floss after every meal, just like our hero Stefan Diggs does. That was such great during the week 17 game against the Dolphins. They cut to him flossing on the sidelines. He cares about dental hygiene. And, uh, you know, you're, 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 you bring up some good points, Jamie, with regards to, you know, I want to talk a little bit more about what Diggs does so well, because really when you look at him, his route running abilities are, are top notch, are unbelievable. His ability to beat the top corners. I mean, he consistently, was going into games knowing that he was going to draw the Jalen Ramseys. He was going to draw the top corners opposite him, and he was still able to put on a clinic. I think he had such a special year. Again, his ability to gain separation, his ability to run after the catch, his ability to make the perfect uh, play where, you know, they say, Josh, uh, you know, in, in the NFL, they always say the quarterback's you have to throw your wide receivers mm-hmm. open. It's not like college where they're going to be open because of a, a gap in talent between the wide receivers and the opposing secondary. Well, I think Diggs does such a great job at putting Josh's mind at ease because they are always on the same page. And I think a lot of that does go back to answer your previous question to the chemistry that they've established to the rapport that they've built up where, when they were running, you know, the off-season workouts in Florida that uh, were coordinated, you know, by uh, by Davis Webb, as we talked about last week in the podcast, you saw Diggs and Allen get on the same page early, and they never left that page. And that, to me, again, is the biggest reason why Josh became an MVP candidate because of having Diggs uh, to run the great underneath routes to gain the separation. He's a phys- he can be a physical receiver who can shrug off the contact. And, you know, I, I just think there's there's not there's not many flaws in Diggs's game. And the fact that he had never been to a uh, a Pro Bowl, much less earn all pro honors before this past year to me was a bit eye opening because I've always thought of Diggs as being a very talented receiver. Yeah, I I, I a little surprised. I, I, I don't think I realized that he had never been to a Pro Bowl before. It seems like everybody gets named to a Pro Bowl. Um, you know, with the the way that the players beg out, you end up with um, you end up with like the twentieth best receiver on the squad because you know eighteen guys ahead of him said, "Yeah, I don't think so." Uh, but you know, Stefan Diggs, there's a lot of intangibles that he brings to the field, and I just don't think that there's enough you can say about him. We could spend an entire podcast just talking about the Stefan Diggs game, but really, it was him lifting everybody around him, drawing the coverage away from the other receivers, helping Josh Allen, allowing Brian Dable to scheme differently than he could before, knowing that Diggs was going to be open. It's just the offense this season was one of the best in the NFL, and he was the second biggest reason for that behind only Josh Allen. And like I said, you make that trade every day of the week and you wonder how it's going to affect the other the other receivers on the roster going forward. We know that Cole Beasley is great, but John Brown. Now there's an interesting case for this past season. We could easily talk all day long about 
Stefan Diggs. I mean, it's 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 painfully evident just what a game changer at receiver he is for for the Buffalo Bills. And, you know, it, it's great. Again, we started this off by saying the Bills are in a fortunate position to know that they have one of the top three wide receivers in all of football at Josh Allen's disposal. The Bills have a very talented quartet, including Diggs, and that includes Beasley, John Brown, and Gabriel Davis. But if I'm a betting person, I'm not sure that all four of these top receivers are back in 2021. And before we go to everyone's favorite rapper slash gritty receiver, Cole Beasley, who who played all of the postseason on a broken leg, mind you, I think John Brown is a great place to transition because this year was incredibly frustrating for John Brown. He battled a series of injuries. He never was his speedy uh, game changing threat that he had been in 2019. He's going to be 31 years old. He missed seven games this past year due to those injuries. And the Bills breaking news are in cap hell right now, uh, given the fact that the cap is going to be around one hundred and eighty million. The Bills have a lot of difficult choices ahead of them when it comes to their books. I, for one, don't necessarily feel that John Brown needs to be back next year for the Buffalo Bills, especially with the nine point five million dollar cap figure that he is going to carry uh, versus if the Bills cut him, they could use that money and of course, either slide up uh, Gabriel Davis, Isaiah Hodgins. We'll talk about the candidates to replace John Brown, but I, to, to go off on this for a second, Jamie, I am not necessarily sure that I want John Brown back unless they can restructure his deal. Now, he's in the third year of the contract. Again, it's a $9.5 million cap hit. If he's cut, there's only a $1.6 million dead cap charge, which the Bills can work around that. They can They can overcome that. But I don't feel like outside of the Ravens game, I don't feel like John Brown did much of anything um, after the first couple of weeks of the season. He he did get off to a really good start for this team as the Robin to the Batman that was Stefan Diggs. Um, he had 10 catches for 152 yards and two touchdowns in the first two weeks. Um, but he really did not seem to be the same speedster and the same talent that Buffalo got the first two years of his contract. If you're Brandon Bean, what are you doing about John Brown? I, I agree. He did not have a good season, but I am going to blame the injuries because when he was on the field at 100% early in the season, he actually had more receptions than Stefan Diggs did. And you talk about his speed to get deep. And yes, the Bills have other players on the roster, namely McKenzie, who can who can go deep. He's also a free agent this year. But you need more than a guy who is just fast. You need a guy who runs good routes, who has good hands. And John Brown is that kind of player. So if I'm Brandon Bean, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask him to take a pay cut this year. I'm going to tell him that they're going to let him go unless he does. Bring his salary down to $4 million, guarantee it, but also sign him to a one-year extension at about $6 million, plus incentives that could potentially get him back up to the $8 million that he's making. Because this Buffalo Bills team is better with John Brown on it playing at 100%. Now, like I said, he wasn't at 100% this past season, 
But the John Brown we saw the season before went for over a thousand yards. He was the Bills' number one receiver. Now, I didn't consider him a number one receiver in the grand scheme of things, but now he moves into a a more comfortable role for him as a very high end number two receiver who's going to take take some of the heat off of Stefan Diggs. Teams respect his speed. And if you watch the film, you will see that safeties constantly are playing deeper than they would normally when he's not on the field because they have to respect the speed. And you you saw a couple of deep touchdowns to him. Uh, the, the first Miami game of the season, he got behind the defense. Against the Jets, he got behind the defense. That's a very important role to have on the team. And he is more than speed. He's a good all-around receiver. So if you have he is. him on the field, along with... Uh, with uh, Cole Beasley, Stephon Diggs, and whatever production they can hopefully get from a future tight end that is yet to be added to the roster, who do you cover if you're the defense? I now I oh it's agree you 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 have to pick your poison when it comes to those talented receivers out there. And, and you're right, Jamie. I know you have another point you want. No, to it's to. okay. I, we're gonna stick on John Brown for a second because I I want to. This is to me one of the biggest decisions that the Bills do have to make, and I would hope that. Look, there's no doubt, like you said, the Bills are a better team with John Brown on the field. He is truly their best uh, and only uh, top flight, top speed wide receiver who, you know, when he's healthy, which again, you saw with the 1000 receiving yards in 2019, you saw it in the first two games of 2020, that high ankle sprain that he was dealing with was no joke. I give him a lot of credit for fighting through and trying to be out there as often as he could, uh, knowing that he wasn't able to get that separation and that breakout speed with, again, the ankle injury that he was dealing with. Um, I don't think it's as easy as Bills fans want to say to just cut Brown and move on and replace him and have somebody else step up and fill those stats because there you're right. There's, but here's my question for you though, Jamie, and I, I'm talking out both sides of my mouth here because I'm torn. I'm really torn over John Brown because receivers, when they lose that step, especially a guy like John Brown, who is not a physical wide receiver, his speed, his ability to gain separation is how he makes his living in the NFL. He's going to be 32 years old coming up soon. Do you think that he can still have that impact as a top flight, high speed receiver, or is he obviously going to lose a step, especially coming off of this bad injury? Therein lies the the real question, right? Because uh, you you can't know, and when speed is a part of your game, when you lose that, it it, it really takes you down a few notches. That's why you see much longer careers from like defensive tackles and offensive linemen, guys whose game is not predicated on being quick. Take a look at basketball. You see centers play. For 20 years, you do not see point guards play for that long. Allen Iverson is a great example. As soon as he lost the half step, he wasn't Allen Iverson anymore, and he was out of the league by the time he was like 31 years old. Also, he was an asshole. That plays into it as well. Bad teammates. But <laughs> but um, I, I think that you have to find a way to bring him back at about half the cap hit that he'll be this year. About $4 million is what I'm looking at because who are you going to bring in that is better than John Brown at that price? 
Now, I'm not talking about just the wide receiver position because we did talk about it. Gabriel Davis could slide into that spot. Um, He had a good rookie season. I'm not convinced yet. I think he's better depth at this point in his career um, than he would be a starter. However, um, where are you going to put that money? Is it going to be linebacker, defensive end, offensive lineman, cornerback? Where is the surplus value? That is a question I don't know that I have the answer to. Yeah, and I, I don't necessarily know that I do either being the role of, of Brandon Bean here. I do know that the Bills could de- – I mean, you know, that money – look, Matt Milano is not going to be back. I don't – it's going to take a minor miracle, and the Bills don't have the money to open up to give him that ca- the, the contract that would take to keep him in Buffalo. I don't necessarily know that you're going to want to spend – a lot you're you're not going to bring and the free agents that are out there at wide receiver the bills you know you are you really telling me that you know buffalo's going to open up the the piggy bank for a Kenny Galladay or a Juju Smith-Schuster no the bills are not making a high end splash or not bringing in a Chris Godwin uh you know or Allen Robinson you know this is not a situation that's going to be addressed with the high end free agents there's some more middle tier guys you could sign like a Will Fuller but he's also injury prone so therefore why would you even you know I think the best scenario is to find a way to get John Brown to take a restructured deal to backload it a little bit and to say all right we'll give you another year or two under your contract um, and push that money down the road and you know rob Peter to pay for Paul um, I I don't know if the bills will go that route because I I get a sense for some reason, Jamie, I don't know why, even though we've both lauded John Brown for what he brings to the table, Stefan Diggs has been openly supportive and how great of a receiver his, his, his mate is, but I got a feeling the bills are going to take a lesson from what happened last year with Trent Murphy when they should have cut him to save the money and roll it over for this year, that there's some reason going to make that decision that John Brown is expendable and if he's not going to sign a reduced salary, they're going to say bye-bye and move on and trust their internal pieces to step up. And therein, again, creates a problem because the Bills, one of the reasons that they are so talented at the receiver room is because of the depth. It's not just one or two guys. You're talking four, five guys when you go to Isaiah McKenzie um, who can really be a good impact receiver. If you take away John Brown, now you're slotting Gabriel Davis up higher to be the number two um, with, with Diggs on the outside and Beasley in the slot. And you just don't know what you have in Isaiah Hodgins. I mean, as great of a red zone threat as he was in college, he didn't play at all in 2020. And you have no idea what he's going to bring to the table. You don't necessarily know if Isaiah McKenzie is going to be able to re-sign as your gadget wide out slash uh, return, return specialist. You know, the, the bills have a lot there. That's what I'm saying. There's a lot of areas where the bills could have turnover at the receiver that I don't think people are really, you know, expecting at this point. I think they all expect the gang to be back and you know, that might not be the if case. If you don't sign John Brown and Isaiah McKenzie leaves you take a position group that was a strength on the team, and now you're an injury away from being nearly depleted. Depending on that's what you're a scary at. thought, right? And that is not that's just not where you want to be. You don't want to take your position of strength and dilute it in hopes of helping a, another position group that is already diluted, like say 
uh, a pass rusher. The Bills don't have enough pass rushers. You need those, of course, but is signing another Mario Addison something that is going to improve your pass rush enough to say it's worthwhile to weaken your wide receivers, which is a strength? And I don't think it is. Especially when you think about how much Josh's development hinged on the great wide receiver play. I mean, again, we've given Diggs all the credit in the world, but Cole Beasley, what he has been able to offer the last two years as that valuable slot receiver, the the safety blanket, if you will, you know, for Josh. I mean, I and again, Cole is coming back when the Bills are not in danger of losing him. He is entering the third year of his four year contract. He's going to be back. He almost had his first 1000 yard receiving season. I think that he is an impeccable part of this wide receiver unit. Um, but I don't know. I, I just don't know if you're right. The bills have some questions beyond that, uh, especially if McKenzie goes. And if John Brown is cut, you're asking a lot for Gabe Davis to step up and be the full-time number two. I don't doubt his ability to do it. It's just, you're making the Bills shouldn't have to worry about their wide receiver room in 2021. And yet they could panic because of the salary cap situation and be forced to worry about it. And that, to me, is a concern that the Bills shouldn't have to deal with, but they could find themselves facing. It's interesting that you see a, a the potential for an overcompensation due to their bad Trent Murphy decision. And I, I hope that they don't necessarily go that route. I, I hope that they are a little smarter about it than that. And, you know, I, my faith is in them. They they seem to get attached to players. And I don't know that that's always a good or bad thing. I guess it depends on the player. Um, but you brought up Cole Beasley. He didn't have a thousand yards receiving this year, yet he was second team all pro that's how respected he is around the NFL. That's because he is impossible to cover and he catches everything thrown his way. Um, I was a guest on a podcast uh, called Moffat on the Mic and they are they're Jets guys. And they liken Cole Beasley to Wayne Corbett. Uh, Craig Moffat, the host, said that Beasley is his absolute favorite player in the NFL because he's so much fun to watch. He's so tough. And he's so reliable. And I feel exactly the same way. How do you not root for a guy who played in the playoffs with a broken freaking leg and still performed? <laughs> I mean, it's it, it's it, that that that's one of the reasons why he is so beloved by Bill's mafia. You know, he injured that leg in week 16 on the Monday night game against the Patriots where he, you know, basically I think he got hurt like in the last four or five minutes of that game. Uh, he missed week 17, um, which cost him an opportunity to get to 1000 yards. That's of course, when Isaiah McKenzie had his career effort scoring three touchdowns against the dolphins. But what Beasley does that is so well, in my opinion, besides being a great catcher, besides being a great route runner, and besides being tough as nails, he just, when Josh is in trouble, he can look to Cole to cut off a route and get to a space where he can make a play and convert the pass. And that to me, it's like you've got an extension of your quarterback out there with Beasley, somebody who is just, he knows 
when to push it to try for something bigger versus when to just simply get open and give himself a target for Josh to throw to. And that is one of the reasons why this offense took so many steps forward in 2020 was because everybody was on the same page, which again is another reason why I'm advocating for not breaking up the band, keeping John Brown. You you can't, after having this conversation, Jamie, I am even further convinced that the bills are not a better team with John Brown gone, no matter how much salary cap space they might save out there. I don't know if Gabe Davis is ready to take over that full-time number two role, but I don't know. What do, what, what do you think about with Gabe Davis? Because he he seemed to me to be the master at that 20, 20, he averaged 17 yards a catch, led the team, and he always seemed to know where the boundary was and how to manipulate the sidelines to his advantage. I haven't seen a Bills receiver be that proficient at the sideline route running in, in a long time. His body control is spectacular. His hands are good. Now, my assessment of Gabe Davis is that he is a long strider. And it seems as though he does his best work when the play is being extended and Josh Allen is running with the ball. When it becomes the playground ball style, he's very good at like you said a moment ago about Cole Beasley breaking off his route and mirroring his quarterback's movements in order to get open. Now, what I need to see from him is the ability to get open on quicker hitting plays. I I need to see his ability to get off the line of scrimmage quickly with urgency and use his size to shield the defender from the ball on those underneath routes. Because this past season, that was a weakness in his game. Now, the 20 yards downfield, yes, those were. that's where he did his best work. And that's not a bad thing. But I want to see his game become a little bit more well-rounded. And I think he needs another season under his belt before I'm comfortable saying, yes, full-time starter. I, I think he's got the potential to be. I think he should be the one that they're looking to to take the place of John Brown eventually, but not yet. Yep, I, I agree. I feel like give give Davis some more time to prove himself uh, even better. And think about this too. As much as we love Gabe Davis, through the first eight weeks of the season, I know he had a really good performance against the Rams, but he didn't really distance himself as being, in fact, I'm looking for his numbers here. The first eight games, he had 15 catches for 205 yards, a little under 14 yards a catch with two touchdowns over the next eight games. When John Brown really was sidelined, um, Davis took off 20 passes caught for 400 yards, averaging almost 20 yards a catch and five touchdowns. Davis did you know was the only player in the entire league to have at least 20 catches and average more than 19 yards per grab over the second half of the season that shows his potential. I just don't necessarily know if he is a guy you want to elevate from being the number four slash number three guy to being your number two, knowing that the pressure is going to come with that. That I did not know. And um, I, I can't say I'm surprised because he actually by, by the numbers, he received the second most snaps of the Bills receivers, uh, even more than Cole Beasley. So he was, in the end, he was the number two guy. I just don't want him to necessarily be relied on as the second best receiver. I, I, I like having waves of guys coming in. And 
the one thing that is inevitable in the NFL are injuries. You you can't get through a season without some key players going down. Luckily, that didn't happen this year with uh, with with Stephon Diggs. But you can't guarantee that it's not going to happen next year, and there needs to be somebody capable in the wings. That guy is Gabe Davis. Gabriel Davis, that touchdown catch against the Rams that he had, uh, that was a thing of beauty against the uh, Miami Dolphins. He had a great one. I mean, he had some serious highlights, and I, I think that we are we're looking at a guy who has major potential to be a, 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 a contributor, a high-end number two in the NFL. Not yet. Now, when it comes to, you talked about waves and waves of receivers and weapons that the Bills can roll out. There is no doubt that the next two players I'm going to mention for entirely different reasons are crucial members of this Bills team. One, for his ability as a gadget player, Isaiah McKenzie, and one for his ability to be an outstanding special teamer who doesn't really contribute too much in the receiving room, Andre Roberts. They both are up for new contracts. They are the only receivers who are not currently under contract uh, for the 2021 season. They're pending free agents, both McKenzie and Roberts. McKenzie is one of those guys who has been such a weapon for Brian Dable to deploy. He doesn't, he's not going to be seeing a major, a majority of the snaps out there, but he gives you those great jet sweeps. He gives you those great uh, routes that he can run where again, you saw through the dolphins game, what a viable wide receiving candidate he is out there. Let's start with McKenzie. What do you do with Isaiah McKenzie knowing that he might no one knows what his mindset is. Does does McKenzie like being this gadget guy who is a super utility weapon, or does he envision himself having, I don't want to say a Tyreek Hill type role, but a more glorified role and expanded role for an offense? Well, if Isaiah McKenzie, the guy, wants a bigger role on an offense, you let him explore that. Um, if he's willing to come back for a veteran minimum, you go ahead and uh, take him back with no guarantees of making the team, but maybe you give him a small signing bonus, maybe uh, you know, two hundred fifty grand, something like that. Um, you know, he's he's a fringe of the roster guy who does he does contribute, but the majority of his contribution is simply on the jet sweep fakes, the the play action jet sweeps. He does them once in a while. He does them well. But he's highly replaceable. Um, he's not a great receiver. He's not a great return man, even though he had a, a great return uh, this past season in the in the Miami game. Um, you know, he to me is not as valuable as Andre Roberts is. The Bills' special teams has been great uh, through this past season. Roberts has been a key reason why. And I, I think that I would like to keep Roberts on the team and McKenzie. I'd like to replace him with somebody who probably has more special teams value, um, but also has the same amount of speed. Um, maybe you could put somebody in that spot who can, uh, you can do some of the things that McKenzie did, but also be a gunner. You know, may, maybe somebody like that. I feel pretty confident, Jamie, that remember last year, the Bills actually cut Andre Roberts, knowing that he was going to resign with the team once he had 
had cleared through because he wanted to be a part of what Buffalo was building. I feel pretty confident that Roberts would come back at the veteran minimum salary, which again, I'm with you. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. The special teams under Heath Farwell were exceptional in 2020. And the return game was one of the main reasons why led by Andre Roberts, I would bring him back and hope that he would sign a veteran minimum contract as for McKenzie, look, I would love to have him back. I do. I like everything he brings to the table. You're right. He's not a great receiver, but he has pure speed that you just can't coach. You can't teach the type of breakaway speed that McKenzie has. The one thing that could hold him back, though, is the ball security. Remember, when he was slotted in to be the returner before Andre Roberts came around, he had issues fumbling. That's why the Bills brought in Andre Roberts was to deal with the fumbleitis that McKenzie was going through. So I don't necessarily know what the market's going to be for McKenzie, but I can tell you this. It's not a great time to be one of those mid-tier veterans in the NFL trying to get a contract because all the teams are crying poor and saying they don't have the money to spend. So maybe McKenzie can come back on a similar league minimum veteran contract, which in that case, I'd be perfectly fine with that. Well, yeah. A veteran, one, yeah, veteran minimum salary, no guarantees. Yeah, let's do it. Because again, you think about McKenzie is a game changer in the fact that even though you might, the one, the one time a game or the two or three times a game where he makes those big impact runs or he makes a great catch and run, those are game changers that allow the Buffalo offense to be as dynamic as it was. You just don't want to overpay for that type of performance, because it's not like he's going to come in there and give you seven, eight, 10 impact plays a game. We're talking about two, maybe three impact plays a game that McKenzie if can even. bring. If even, yeah. I mean, you're, I might be on the high end there. So yeah, I, I think we're in agreement here. Um, Andre Roberts is a guy we want. Uh, Isaiah McKenzie is somebody we could live without. And Isaiah Hodgins, we just don't know. It's way too early. You're right to tell anything about Hodgins. You know, he oozed potential. He oozed red zone talent in college, but he basically went through a red shirt season in 2020 and went on the IR right after the final cuts. So I don't really know. Here, here's, here's my question for you. Of the guys we have not touched on on this roster, of which there are several, um, we haven't hit on everyone's favorite practice squad guy, Duke Williams. We did touch briefly about Jake Kumaro. Uh, we have Isaiah Hodgins and we have uh, Josh Allen's leading wide receiver at Wyoming, Tanner Gentry, also on the roster. Are any one of those guys a player that the Bills should give that they can have an opportunity. Um, and a lot of these guys, you know, are who knows what their capabilities are in the NFL, but are any of them actually worth investing some time and a little bit of money as a viable wide receiver weapon? Money, no. Time, yes. You can give coaching time to Isaiah, Isaiah, Isaiah Hodgins, Tanner Gentry, um, you know, even Duke Williams. We probably know who he is at this point. If he was a guy who could play, he would have been elevated to the roster. Um, I'm looking at Gentry and Hodgins. Hodgins, another long strider, but he supposedly catches everything. He's 6'3". That's something that they're missing. And Gentry, well, I mean, he and Allen have played together, so maybe there's a little bit of chemistry there. I 
you know, the job of the coaches, I, I want to see them try to coach these guys up and make something into them. Do we invest any real money in anybody on the roster right now? Nope. Nope. You've got guys under contract. You want uh, John Brown to take less money if you can. It's too soon to give uh, Stefan Diggs a an extension or a pay increase with three years left on his deal and and the salary cap coming down this season. He's going to have to wait. So, nope, I don't think you spend any additional money in the wide receiver room. Yeah, I don't think the Bills are going to go after even, <clears throat> you know, there's there's some talk about tapping into the Carolina pipeline and maybe Curtis Samuel comes over to bolster the wide receivers. I don't think the Bills unit needs bolstering. I think if they can be shrewd with their cap management and like we've outlined here, the steps to take to make sure the receivers <clears throat> have the same talent level that they did this year, next year for Josh Allen. I think the Bills will be fine at wide receiver. To answer my own question, the one that I would would definitely, you know, there, there's Tanner Gentry, I think, signed a futures contract. So he's going to be back. Uh, he signed that after the offseason. I'm not quite sure about the status of uh, Kumaro. Um, I know he will get a, a chance to do a, a, a do-over with the team because I do believe he signed one of those futures um, contracts as well. But Hodgins to me is the one who has the biggest opportunity in front of him for the sole reason that the bills drafted him. They spent a sixth round pick on this guy. They want to see what they have in him. They clearly thought enough to draft him in a very deep wide receiver class last year. Um, I don't expect Gentry to do much of anything, even though again, he's got that futures contract. I don't think Duke Williams is anything. He's like, you've said, he's had many opportunities to prove himself and outside of a couple of tantalizing catches in practice has really never, and he had one moment, I believe, in a game, but I don't think he's anything special to write home about. So to me, it's Hodgins, and then I guess I would say Kumaro 1B on that because a couple of teams that know something about receivers, uh, including the New Orleans Saints, did actually take a chance on Kumaro when they needed some help. Um, so I'd say maybe give him a chance too, because he's also a taller threat. I think he's six foot four, uh, maybe two ten. Uh, somebody who could be a pretty decent opportunity to take a flyer on. But again, for me, it's Hodgins and Kumaro, and move on from the rest. Yeah, I'm hundred percent with you on that. And Kumaro, special teams guy. Hey, listeners, he's not going to contribute as a receiver. <laughs> yep nope I'm, I'm with you and the bills this that's a challenge that this team is going to have they need to find guys who can contri- continue to contribute on the special teams knowing that they're not going to be taking those snaps and re- repetitions from the high-end wide receivers on this team jamie hard to believe we've uh we've run through the gamut of of all the the, the bills wide receivers under contract i believe we're both in agreement that they're not going to make any splashes to this area in free agency. I don't think the draft, I mean, they could target a guy on day three, potentially. I mean, you know that I wouldn't, I've seen bills fans saying that the team should take a receiver anywhere as early as the second round on. Uh, Of course, all that depends on what happens with the guys, you know, behind Stefan Diggs, whether John Brown gets cut uh, or whether he gets brought back or not. But I feel like the bills, if they're going to invest in the draft in a wide receiver, it's going to come in, rounds four, five, six, and seven. It's not going to be a day one or a day two investment. You know, we will talk more about this, but 
the Bills are in a position where they have needs on the roster, but they really are in a place where if you can get particularly good value at any position, I think you go ahead and do it. That's a that's the beauty of being a team that made it to the AFC title game. They're the holes are not as gaping as they were under previous regimes. And, uh, you know, we, we definitely trust the bills process, if you will, because it's gotten them so far, uh, during the first couple of years of the Bean McDermott regime here in Buffalo, Jamie, it's been a good time talking, uh, wide receivers. I feel very good about the strength and the state of this position. I'm going to get ready for some Pepto-Bismol for next week's talk on the <laughs> tight ends. Cause that's a polar opposite discussion. Oh man, I hope people are going to bring their umbrellas because we're going to be storm clouds. (laughs) (laughs) Make sure you do not eat before you listen to our podcast next week because it might make you vomit. Some of the truth bombs we'll be dropping about the tight ends on our State of the Bills off-season podcast series. Of course, you can get involved with our podcast. Give us your thoughts on what Buffalo should do at the wide receiver position, the strengths, the weaknesses, the concerns you have heading into 2021. You can also get involved with us on social media. Jamie is on Twitter at the Jamie D'Amico. I am at John Boccasino. You can also get involved on our stories when they post on buffalorumblings.com. For Jamie, I'm John signing off. We'll talk to you guys next week. 